Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first on Second Thought. On Second Thought, brought to you by Hook'em.com and our good friends at Bud Light. I'm Cedric Golden, and I'm joined by the Dutch Kirk Bowles. Jam-packed podcast commemorating number 200, dog. Number 200. Oh, we could have lasted 200 episodes. Yeah. Is anybody listening for the last no. two years? No. no. Okay. All right. No. Well, at least we're still doing it. Well, we're abusing ourselves. Yeah. My dad's listening, but he's in heaven. So I don't think that click counts, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, though, I'm, I'm mentioning my dad. My dad, uh, he passed away in May of 2016. And we had just gotten this podcast up and going. And we end up going to the Big 12 Media Days in Dallas and CBS Sports uh, national writer Dennis Dodd was our first road guest. And we've been rolling ever since. Um, we've got um, longtime national golf writer Melanie Hauser is um, going to be joining us later, along with Tex Ags columnist Olin Buchanan. Those are a couple of statesman alums. Uh, the Longhorns are off this week, uh, as are uh, eight SEC teams because of the COVID, but uh, we'll discuss that later. But, Duck, about this 200, man, what stands out to you? I mean, because we've talked about doing a podcast for months before we finally did it, and then once we jumped in there, we haven't stopped moving since. Well, it's one of the most fun parts of our week, and uh, – you and I love to talk about sports and argue sports and, you know, it's been fun correcting you on Whatever. the last five years. So uh, I don't know. It's funny because we've done it all over the place. We've taken it on the road to Super Bowls. Uh, you know, we've uh, one of us has been on the road. And uh, I remember once the, the maid interrupt us in uh, Miami and <laughs> walked in on us. Uh, so I remember that was pretty memorable. Uh, I was like, yeah, um, I'll call you back in 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you got to do what you got to do, right? Oh, man, you got to do what you got to do. Um, I, I just thank all our guests. I mean, we've had everybody from Brent Musburger to Jim Nance to Vern Lundquist to, you know, Bob Stoops, Barry Switzer, Earl Campbell. Just just go down the list of some all-time. Mac players. Brown, the, lo- the Longhorn legends. We, I mean, we've had some we've had some really fun Longhorn guests. Mac Brown, Earl Campbell, Roy Williams, Roderick uh, Babers, who we just Brian love, Brown. Brian Robinson, Tim Crowder, Aaron Ross, Michael Griffin. I mean, you name them, and we've had them, and and it's just been so much fun because. Um, these people let their, they let their hair down after they leave college and they realize that those two columnists 
at the statesman aren't out to get them. We're mm-hmm. actually, well, no, we aren't. <laughs> we're not out to get them, and we're, we're actually not as bad as, as originally thought when they were in college. Yeah, it's been so much fun, and uh, like you, you know, you like it when people are kind of honest. And I remember Dave Faraday. How about how much? Oh fun my it God, was. that was the <laughs> most. That may have been the most most I've ever laughed uh, that was on this story. podcast. He was hysterical. I might have to go back and listen to that one. Yeah, he was it, hysterical. I almost wish we could compile our top ten and. and put it out there uh, in mass. Uh, and here's the thing. Who? Okay, before we get to our next 100 to get to 300, who do you want? Name, and this is off the top of my head, too, off the cuff. Uh, who, would you, who would we need to get uh, before we hit 300? I know who I want is Charles Barkley. I, I, I really want Charles Barkley. If, yeah. I can, if we can get Charles Barkley – on the podcast for 15 or 20 minutes. Right. Uh, you know, and his dad's card is so filled up, Duck, because uh, all the national radio and television people have figured out what everybody knows for sure is that he's gold. Mm-hmm. He's absolute gold. So uh, it will be Chuck. He's, my, he's, he's on my wish list. Yeah. yeah. I'm, trying, I'm trying to think. I, I'd like to have Tiger Woods on. He'd be, I think he'd be fun. Uh, probably not going to get Tiger anytime. No, well, we got a better chance of getting Chuck than we do again Tiger. <laughs> yeah, I think so. We just do. We just well, do. Well, we've, we've, we've tried to get Rick Neuheisel on. He keeps dodging us for some reason. I, I, I just got kept. I stopped trying on Rick. I'd like to get him on. So Chris Sims refuses to come on. Yeah, that's right. I've uh, sent him many, many text messages. Ricky Williams hadn't been on. Rick, and, we, we've openly talked to Rick. Rick, yeah. you want to be on the podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. Give me a call. Yeah. And he just yeah. won't do it. Oh, maybe we should ask Vince Young to be on sometime. VY would be an, an interesting one. I, I wouldn't mind having VY on. Yeah. Uh, that would be good. Reach out to him before we hit 300. You know, I'd like to get Karen Aston back on. She's no, she's not coaching this year, I don't think, um, unless she's got an assistance job that I don't know about. And um, she's posting a lot of um, a lot, lot of stuff on her Facebook page of her family, just beautiful family. And I would, I would love to see what she's up to because she did before we got started. Before we really got rolling, Karen Aston was always down to do the yeah. podcast, and I will always. Uh, be thankful and grateful to her that that she would always take time out. Even after a game, we'd had our equipment in the hall, in the bowels of the Irwin Center uh, right before the NCAA tournament, and she she graciously uh, consented to do it. And uh, we've uh, we've all I've always admired her for that. I think she got an assistance job up at one of the Michigan schools. I think. Did she really? Um, well, maybe we need to get her before basketball season. I would I would love to get her. I always always like Karen. Love talking ball with her. We would exchange text messages during the WNBA Finals or the NCAA Final Four, Women's Final Four, because she loves talking ball. And um, you know, well, whatever you think of uh, what what happened here at Texas, you know, not getting over the Baylor hump or anything. I've always had profound respect for Karen. I'd also like to get Kim Mulkey on. We've never had her on our podcast. Wow. How about a, how about we, let's just, let's just plan to do this right now. Yeah. How about a Mulkey Vic Schaefer combo platter the week they play one another? It'll have to be whenever they play. Hopefully it'll be on a Saturday 
and we can we don't have to get them at the same time but i would love to get them get them separately because uh they're both great quotes they're fun um gregarious people and they're very passionate and they win i, I would love to do that i would too i think that let's get on that so all right, well, we got some guests coming up. So we, we got-, got some guests coming up. And uh, before we get to our guests, Duck, uh, I just want to give a shout out uh, to our producers. Uh, Alyssa Vidalis uh, was there at the beginning, um, guided us through some, some early, some early times with the podcast and produced us. And our current guy, Adam fish has been wonderful. Um, just, just creative and just a smart dude. Uh, and, all, always takes care of us. Even when I mess up, Duck, he, he comes in and you'd never know it by listening, but uh, he fixes all of the mistakes and he just does it with such a great, um, just, just such a great spirit and just a, a great attitude and just, just love both of those people. And, and thanks to the Statesman um, and Statesman Radio for, for putting us on mm-hmm. and, uh, and letting us do us. Absolutely. And I, I'm surprised we haven't had demand to, to go video as well, but uh, well, now that I think about it, probably not. So uh. no, no. Pod, pod, <laughs> people who love podcasts listen; they don't watch. And uh, I've done that research, and uh, we'll continue to do the video with the Longhorn um, Unfiltered and Longhorns Confidential because those are a hit on Facebook Live. But on second thoughts, uh, is a is a classic audio podcast, and I think we should keep it that way. On second thought. Crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Well, Doc, um, enough, enough football and, and enough, um, you know, en- enough nostalgia. Let's get down to brass taxes on our 200th episode. A good friend of ours, Melanie Hauser, joins us. I know you and she are mourning uh, this Thursday morning because you're not in Augusta, Georgia. How many masters have you two covered together, Mel? Together? Um, I, I'm not sure how many Kirk has. I, this would have been my 36th masters. So um, that, that would have been really special. Uh, but I, I guess Kirk, you've been there. I don't know how many times. Probably about 20, you know, I'm probably a little more than a half as many as you. I wonder how many other writers have been the more masters and covered more masters than you. Yeah, other oh. than maybe the late Dan Jenkins and, you know. Oh, no, there's quite a few. There, There's actually quite a few. There, there were four that were going to hit the 40th this year. There's four more that are going to hit the 40th next year. There's probably about 15 people, yeah. you know, oh, in that club so far. But there's not going to be many behind us um, yeah. with the way that uh, things are going, just travel and, and things like that. Um, well, well, what are your emotions? I'm I'm dying inside. I'm gonna watch every shot that I can, but it, I'm just dying that I'm not a, in Augusta. What emotions are you feeling? 
Well, I, I'm kind of doing the same thing. I, I just got off the phone with uh, somebody that that's over there, and there are no there are no ropes up, so they're able to walk down and and be right there at Amen Corner. It's wow. they said it's very 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 different because um, they're they're going places that we've never been able to go before. Um, and uh, it, it's just a very different masters, but but I miss it. I mean, you can't not miss something that's been part of your life for you know almost four decades. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I got the opportunity to see some golf last week with the Houston Open, but it's just not the same. I mean, you know, I, I miss the tree. I miss um, the egg salad and pimento sandwiches. I, I miss just being able to bump into some of the old timers there. I, when you've gone for that many years, you know, the people in the clubhouse, you know, the, the, the guys who work in the clubhouse, you, you stop by and say hi to them. I have my UPS buddies that FedEx everything. I mean, UPS everything for me, you know, uh, from the dinner. Um, they're just people that you see once a year, but you've gotten to know them so well over the years. And, and I think I miss, you know, all that. And, and plus just the excitement of the masters. There's, there's just something so totally different about that, that tournament. And, um, you know, I, I have to say, you know, the golf gods kind of, put it all in perspective for me because the very first masters that I covered was the, was Ben's first win. And I had wow. to go for so many years. And then I, I'm, I moved from the Statesman to the Houston post and they sent me and, um, it was just an amazing feeling because I was on the inside with team Crenshaw the whole week. And, um, for that to be your first masters and just to tumble down that way. And of course I took a lot of teasing. Well, it took you getting you to the masters for Ben to win. And I'm like, I don't think so. (laughs) Um, But you know, for that to be my very first one was, was amazing. Uh, uh, Big Charlie, his dad was there. Um, You know, just uh, one of those guys that uh, you know, like, like Daryl Royal and all those people that, that, you know, walked through my life uh, earlier on, uh, you know, they're just, they're bigger than life people. And, and to see that and to have, to be able to take what Ben had told, Ben and Tom had told me all those years and to walk that golf course, it was like, oh, wow. You know? <laughs> well, if you, so. if you guys don't know our esteemed guest, she, she is the uh, self, self, um, she's not self, described author she is an author she is a statesman alum um and she's covered 100 majors secretary of the golf writers association and she works for the harris county houston sports authority and just like the duck and myself she's a voter for the texas sports hall of fame she's on the selection committee uh mel could you tell our listeners about the first time you found out you were going to the Masters and your uh, reaction to that? Um, you know, it was, it kind of came with the territory when I moved to the, to the post. It was, it was just in my, in my rotation. I knew I would be at every major. And so there was an excitement there. There was a, oh my gosh, where am I going to stay? How do I do this? Um Jimmy Demerit had um, set all the Texas writers up with an 
oh my gosh, it was an old truck stop hotel um, in a not so great part of Augusta. And um, so, you know, I had a room there. Uh, Skip Bayless was there. A lot of the other writers were there. Um, you know, you're finding your way. Um, I was there with Jack Gallagher, a crusty old columnist uh, for the Houston Post. And, uh, <laughs> crusty. You know, crusty. <laughs> he was. He was. And, uh, it, you know, it was um, it was amazing because suddenly I was seeing something that I'd seen on TV. But I, I, I guess I would say I was really excited. But but the the whole thing, the move to Houston, brought so many other things into into play. I'd, I'd done some uh, NFL when I was at the uh, Statesman, but suddenly I was pulled into NFL. I was pulled into Astros stuff. I was covering Southwest Conference. I was, you know, jetting here and there. And so it was just like this huge whirlwind. Um, so actually getting to Augusta was was very cool. And, and the first time I walked down to Amen Corner, it was like this explosion. And, and uh, back then they called us uh, chipmunks because your first masters, you're a chipmunk. You're, you're like running everywhere. Ooh, 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 ooh. You know, um, ooh, there's Amen Corner. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, um, there's 18. Ooh, there's the clubhouse. Ooh, that's the tree. Um, so you're scrambling everywhere for that first Masters, and and that's kind of the way I was. But at the same time, I was I was focusing down because you know I had to worry about Ben and Tom, and um, quite honestly. Um, I knew that Ben and his first wife had uh, made the decision to divorce and that kind of freed him up. Um, I was told that um, early in the week by his dad and um, I, I knew that that would take a weight off of his shoulders and then to see it unfold was just incredible. So That's so weird. Your first master's been one. My first Masters that I covered, Ben won. Uh, that was the first one you did. Oh, wow. <laughs> Y'all should have quit. Quit, <laughs> <laughs> quit after that. <laughs> <laughs> that one was a pretty amazing one, too, Kirk. I mean, oh, you know, I, yeah. I, I was on the phone with Ben and Tom that Sunday night. Harvey uh, ben was in Augusta. Tom was still in Austin. Right. I mean, you know, we, we, saw, we saw that unfold. Um, we saw everything. And I remember every day I was talking with Carl Jackson, his caddy. Um, you just kind of started to feel something. And it was yeah, like, oh, my gosh. You did. Um, you, you almost expected Tom to be the stronger one in that. And, and instead, it, it went up being Ben. But, you know, two very emotional times in his life, he – puts it aside and it fuels him to two masters. Yeah. That was, that? It, it's such a special place for you and me. And obviously it is for Ben. I mean, I don't know if anybody loves that course more than Bobby Jones, but it may have been Ben Crenshaw, but <clears throat> you're right. I mean, I walk with Ben. He was like leading every day. So I did Ben every day walking with yep. Julie and Charlie, his uh, brother and his wife and Scotty Sears and his wife, Julie, and uh, it's just such a dynamic. And it's so, to me, the most electric thing is being on that first tee on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, seeing the honorary golfers tee off, you know, Jack and and uh, Gary and, and Lee Elder will do it this year. So it's just the expectation of what's going to happen. There's so much anticipation, and it just seems like it always lives up to the billing. 
And uh, that's one of the things that it just gives me chills just thinking of, you know, watching Ben. That My first three Masters, Mel, were Ben winning for the second time. And then the second was, uh, uh, I guess, Tiger winning for mm-hmm. the first time. And then the next one was uh, the Sharks collapse. Yes. Greg Norman folded up, and I'm going, this is the best event in the history of sports. It just never seems to disappoint, does it? No, it it, it doesn't. I mean, um, you, you look at it, and it it was kind of incredible. My my third Masters was Jack. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, wow. it was <laughs> like, I, I mean, it was just it just tumbled one after another. Each one has a story. You've got you know Larry Mize chipping in. You've got Curtis Strange shooting eighty in the first round, and the entire press room is sitting there on Saturday night going, oh, my gosh, is he going to do this? Is he going to come back from an 80 and win the Masters? Uh, there, There's so much rich everything there. Um, you never – I don't think you ever got the chance, Kirk, to, to walk with Sneed and Sarazen. No. That was amazing. I, I sat with Sarazen actually the, the night before his final ceremonial – nine with with Sneed I sat with him up on the up upstairs veranda and wrote a column about him and I remember asking him why he was why he was going to stop at that point and he just kind of held his hands out and said these hands just don't do it anymore and so I walked the nine the next day right right and he hits this shot on I think it was seven that goes just finds its way right through the trees I have no idea how it happened and it lands on the green and you're like, you know, Sneed is giving him the hardest time. At the end, he looks, he turns over to Sneed and he goes, Hey, Sam, want to play nine more? <laughs> Sneed just goes Bleh, and walks off, you know, but you, you didn't you have know, another double Eagle that day, did he? No, no. But you know, it, the, the beauty of the masters too, is to be able to, and I, I was blessed beyond belief to, to be able to cover, um, you know, people like Byron Nelson and, and Sarazen and, and Sneed and all those guys. And that's what the Masters is all about, too, that rich history. And Ben is the guy right now who ties all that back. Ben right. and Jack, um, to me, they're the ones that are the, the gatekeepers, if you will, of, of that part of Augusta. And, you know, they're just as excited as we are on that first tee. They're like, oh, what's going to happen? You know, uh, who's going to do this or that? Um, you know, I mean, we both go over to Ben all the time. Hey, what do you think about so-and-so? How's he playing? You know, and it doesn't get a whole lot better than last year either. I mean, I was there with Tigers first. I was there. I had a great feeling about him from the night from the Wednesday night on, he hopped out of his car at the dinner and, and comes bouncing up and he's just so relaxed and he's come to the dinner every time we've honored him, which is like a dozen times. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you can see how relaxed and at peace he was with himself. And then watching that build, um, something's going to happen this week too. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was Brooks Kepka actually. Um, I, I, it's just a feeling. Well, wow. Brooks Kepka is going off at, at uh, seventeen to one, that's a that's a nice bet. Um, you know, uh, there's back. a lot of great players that are playing well, but I kind of like I kind of like that a little bit too. So anyway, I wanted to ask y'all about about this this 
this uh, incredible Hulk guy, Bryson DeChambeau, who went into the weight room and came out looking, looking like a tight end. Um, he's the favorite right now to win it at, they call it plus 750, which is basically seven, seven and a half to one uh, to win the Masters. Um, is, does this course, um, you know, you guys are the golf riders, does this course bunch up and suit his, his long ability? And they're talking about him using a 48-inch driver. And uh, what does that mean in layman's terms, uh, golf riders? means he's going to slam it down there and try to get it on the green. Uh, He's going to try to overpower a course that takes a lot of finesse. You've got to know an awful lot about that golf course. Um, I've spent so much time with Ben. There are wind currents that you just know about um, after you play for a while. There's, there's shots that, you know, and I, I think with the wetness of the greens and and the fairways, I I don't know that that's going to be the best thing. I may be proven totally wrong, uh, but I think Augusta is a course where it's going to be difficult for him because you're going to have to have the feel. You're going to have to know where to place it on the green. Um, And certainly he is what everybody's talking about. And I think there are courses, obviously, that he can do that with. I'm not so sure that Augusta is one of them. Uh, you look at Tiger in his prime or, or Norman in his prime, they were long hitters. Um, they, they didn't over, I won't say they overpowered the golf course, but they put it down there a long way. I, I would, somebody like Brooks hits it a long way, but he's not going for what DeChambeau's going for. What do you think, Doc? What do you well, think? Well, you know, it's 80% chance of rain today on Thursday. And uh, it diminishes the the rest of the weekend. But, you know, the wet conditions, you know, a lot of those, you know, downhill fairways, like, you know, number 10, for example, you know, a lot of those golfers like to get that extra yardage on rolls. And DeChambeau doesn't need that. And and I've been uh, frankly surprised that he's got a little better feel and finesse than you would think just this brute of a golfer, just this overpowering type machine has. So, uh I don't know. He he sure doesn't lack for confidence, that's for sure. So I it's wonder. Almost, it's bordering on arrogance. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, he, he rubs me a little the wrong way, and yeah. you know, but you know, but a football player can talk to us like that, and we're like, oh yeah, yeah, he's he's got swagger. But a golfer does it, and you're like, easy up, dog, ease right. up. Right. Yeah. He and he and Brooks Kepka aren't my favorite golfers. Like you said, Mel, I, I like the finesse game. Ben Crenshaw was that kind of guy, you know, you know, Zach Johnson guys that keep it in the fairway and make precise shots. So I don't, are you picking uh Kepka or who, who's your pick? Oh, no, I, you know, I never pick anybody until I see like yeah. the first round, because the one thing about that and, and, and it's no knock on DeChambeau. I think he does have some finesse, right? But I just think that you have to have a lot of finesse. You have to have a lot of, of local knowledge on that golf course, and it, which means you have to play it a lot. And I'm not sure he's played it a lot. But yeah. the, the thing that has always stood by me, that, that I've always stood by when I look at, at a Masters is how they start, how they feel, watch them. Watch their, you know, watch the way they're walking, watch the way they're approaching. And you never know until they get off that first tee and they get at least nine holes behind them. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe more. 
um, and, and then you start to get a feel for who's feeling very comfortable within themselves. And, you know, like a Fred Couples in, in 92, he was very comfortable in his own skin. Got lucky, too, at 12. But, um, <laughs> so did Tiger last year at 12. Exactly. And you got to get lucky. The water. Well, you know, Ben, it, you think about the, it, it, the final round of, of 95 when he – went in the azaleas on number two and it i mean that could have been lost and he gets in there and he finds it and he gets it out yeah. i mean i'd be a little lucky you and do you, know, you so have to be about, like you said on 12 i mean uh, molinari and everybody went in the water everybody and his brother went in the water on 12 and tiger just you know puts it right there you know on the green and uh and pars it and the rest is history you know he was on his way yeah. so tiger I, goes got this i got, I got this, this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about what about tiger 40 to 1 um well to win this. that's a good question said i mean you know he seems very relaxed and you know he talked at the champions dinner and then the press conference tuesday about you know how sentimental and nostalgic he is you know and uh, remembers grabbing uh, Charlie, you know, after winning it. And uh, I don't know, there, there's always, like Melanie said, there's always such a great muscle memory for the people like Fred Couples, like like Ben, like Tiger, that keep coming back. And and uh, I, I wouldn't discount Tiger, although he's not playing his best. And he's missing too many, like, 10-foot putts and inside. So, I'm uh, frankly, to me, I'll be surprised if he wins it, but – I'm never surprised if he's going to play well and in the mix there, but his putting worries me a little bit. How do you feel, Mel? Who else was not putting well going into? Well, Jordan Spieth hadn't really done anything. Well, really. no, I'm thinking Ben Crenshaw <laughs> in, yeah. in, in 95. Um, you know, I, I think Tiger wants number six. I think he wants to tie Nicholas. Right. I, right. I think he no, really does want to do that. But this Tiger – is more mature and he knows that the only way that's going to come is by him doing the best he can with what he's got right now. He's not, he's not the kid that stopped. I mean, I will never forget standing on the lawn that Sunday morning um, in uh, 97 when he walked people just, when he walked over to the putting green for, to take the first, you know, couple of, of, putts and then he turned around and went back to the driving range i mean things just stopped everybody stopped it was like everybody pressed pause and here's this guy walking through this crowd nobody's saying anything everybody understood the magnitude of what was going to happen that day um if he stood up and finished that that tournament that was huge and um i'll never forget that that look on his face and watching him mature into last year's tiger. I, I think mm -hmm. you always look at those guys. Um, you know, people discounted Nicholas. I mean, you know, I'm out there walking. I was, I was walking, I was walking um, behind Nicholas. I was walking with Ballesteros and kite when they both eagled eight that day. And Jack kind of turned around. He was way up on nine. He kind of turned around cause he heard the back-to-back -back roars. And then it was like, he just took off, put the pedal down and, and said, see ya, um, you know, and, uh, it's I think that experience you you never discounted. I'm not saying that he's playing well enough to win, but yeah. if things broke the right way, you just never know. Yeah, you you mentioned the roars and that's 
one of the main things we'll miss is that there's nothing like hearing the cascading roars come over those pine trees. It's, it's truly one of the most spectacular sounds, you know, in all of sports. Well, well and, well, and you know a jack roar from a tiger roar, from a brook's <laughs> roar. You do. You, I, I'm, you just I kid you not, said you, you know the difference. You just do. <laughs> Well, before we get out of here, I need to I need to ask you both. And Kirk, Kirk, you just mentioned it. If there's one thing you're going to miss the most about not being there this year, what will it be, Mel? <sighs> Could I say it's sitting hard, next to the duck? No. Um, <laughs> sitting next to the duck? That's the best. <laughs> no. Hey, I haven't sat next to him in six months, and I don't miss that. So go we ahead. Also share, we also share a house. Um, he's, he's, in, he's in the house. But, um, no, I'll miss being able to tell that story, whatever the story is. Um, there's always a, a great story or two. Um, I think that's what I'll miss, just being able to do that. And uh, you, you can do it from TV, but – it's not the same. It's not yeah. the same. No. Yeah. What about you, Kirk? Oh, uh, you know, you mentioned the big tree, you know, outside the clubhouse, and I love gathering there and, you know, visiting with, you know, some of the some of the old greats in golf and, and like Ben Crenshaw and others, and uh, just being around that first tee and the electricity that you have. And it starts building the day before at the par three said. It's the prettiest little nine-hole course in the entire world and and people are just packed and you see somebody like a david robinson uh caddying for cory pavin you yeah. know you get this monster guy in this white caddy suit and just the visual and just bumping into people that that may have be there the first time and interacting with those uh patrons if you will it's it's just the entire experience of that week it's just it's just phenomenal. It's a privilege to, you know, to be able to go there and to kind of chronicle it. And I know Melanie feels the same way. It is. That tree holds a lot of memories. I mean, I remember one day Arnold shot like 80 and came off and we're all standing there, you know, hoping to get him. And he kind of veers off over to the side where the, uh, the, the, tent, the, umbrellas are where everybody's eating and he's standing there talking and everybody's like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do it? And they looked at me and I said, okay, I'll go ask him. And so I walked over and I said, Hey Arnold, um, there's a couple of us over there that would like to just get a couple minutes with you. Do you have, can, can we have a couple minutes before you, you have lunch? And he looked up and he said, sure. And walked over and talked about his 80. <laughs> I love that, man. You know, but it was all under the tree. Things like magic things happen yeah. under the tree, you know? You know, the thing you mentioned, Jack, I'll never win. Uh, Greg Norman blew that, what was he, six-stroke lead on Sunday, yeah. whatever it was. Nick Faldo chases him down. And, and remember, he was just blowing away the field that whole week. And I remember talking to Jack under that tree. We're all thinking, oh, well, we've written Norman every day. What are we going to write? And, and I remember talking to Jack under the tree, you know, late morning, you know, bef long before the they tee off and he and uh remember greg had won british opens but he hadn't won on, on on this side of the the ocean so we said is this going to validate greg norman's career you know winning a masters to go with the british opens and and he just kind of puts up a finger he hadn't won yet you know and so he kind of said well yeah. we got a cc and so anyway about three of us riders were talking to him we walk off and he Come on, Jack. <laughs> and Jack knew. He knew the pressure that these golfers feel. There's nothing like pressure in sports like that bag nine on Sunday. 
Well, and Norman is, Norman's your perfect guy there. Yeah. Because he, I can't tell you how many times I stood in front of his locker on Sunday night. Yeah. And he's like, what have I got to do this golf? I love this golf course. And it just doesn't love me back. And you know, <laughs> exactly. he never made it. Never made it. And he was a stand up guy. He was a stand up guy. I remember he was such a classy in response, you know, after he lost that. So I'm also going to miss our meals on the veranda at the uh, clubhouse. At the you East know, I know. It's just, I don't know. I'm going to tear up. Also, but you know what though? What? They're, they're going to play it again in just a few months. I mean, you guys will get to go back. This is like an appetizer, and you'll look up, and we get through the spring, and the everybody gets that shot in the butt, that vaccine. You guys will be back there doing what you do. There you go. I, I sure hope so. You know? I'm picking Dustin Johnson to win, going out on a big limb there. Said, who you got? You got anybody you want to pick? Uh, I'm, I'm going with Brooks, Kepka. Okay. I'm going with Brooksy. So we'll okay. see. We'll I know see. Dustin Johnson's back from the coronavirus and playing well. I know he played well in Houston. Damn that corona! Too bad. Too bad Sergio got 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 tested positive. That's yeah. rough, oh, man. He was I, so excited about that. Well, before we let you go to Jordan Spieth, I mean, he hadn't won in three years since the British. Yeah, what do you I, for him in the future. I, I think I think he'll be back. I think. I, I, I haven't really talked to him, but so many guys, you see them, you know, jet out and just really have, you know, these breakout year or two. And then things happen. You know, he gets married. This happens. That happens. And um, it, you, you change something. And it, it, it's a little dip. I mean, one of the reasons that I, I, I like Kepka, although I do reserve judgment until after the, the, the first round is over, um, is, you know, he's got eight top sixes. In, that's, since, diff- that's very difficult to do. And, and what, three or four wins mm-hmm. um, in, since 2017? Mm-hmm. That's an experience level that is huge. And, um, you know, DJ played very well down in, in Houston as well and knows that course, knows Augusta well. Right. Um, he was a quiet second to Tiger last year. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, um, you know, I mean – uh, who'd have thought that golf would have taken me to all these different things and have all these memories. Kirk, we need to write a book about underneath <laughs> the tree, underneath you know, tree. something like that. Um, I like it. I like it. And the guy I'd really love to win is Roy McElroy. Oh, he, absolutely. He did to complete the grand slam and uh, that would be good. I think he will win it one day. I, I really do. But 13 to one this year, 13 to one. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to see that as well. He's, he's just a class guy and, you know, a, a quiet guy who, who could win again is, is a guy like Adam Scott. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's playing very well. I mean, the, the one thing when you go to the masters is you better not just have one person on your radar. You better have at least half a dozen. Nice. Uh, that you're, you're, you're looking at and that you're, you're paying attention to, um, because as a writer and I, as a columnist, um, which is what I've basically been for the last however many masters, at least half of them have been basically a columnist. You, you look for that. You look for getting into that. And you, um, I don't care about the numbers. Don't tell me that the fourth, fourth ranked player in the world has won 
you know, five times there. I, I could care less about those kind of numbers. I'm looking at the person. I'm looking at how they're handling themselves. Are they comfortable with themselves and their game? Um, and, and just everything else that, that goes with it. And when you've been around these guys for a long time, you, you can see it, you can feel it, you know? Uh, so you are, you are writing off this, you're writing this weekend, right, Mel? Um, actually, I don't know exactly what I am writing. Um, I know that I'm writing about the U.S. Women's Open this week. Um, where, where can we find your stuff? Um, it'll be in the Chronicle, actually. The Chronicle. Um, I write once a week in the, in the Chronicle. I, I do everything from uh, uh, rehashing uh, the Earl Campbell uh, miracle uh, for four touchdowns and 199 yards on Monday night Maybe. football, which I covered for the Austin American States. Yeah, against my dolphins, against my dolphins. And, against and, he, dolphins and he blows by his buddy, Steve Toll, who was a really good linebacker. Exactly. And Earl Campbell takes it to the house and my dad's going, I told you that boy would be good. I go, you always <laughs> thought he was fat. <laughs> you know, I, I, I get to dig down into into great stories like that, you know. You hit a nerve, you hit a nerve. <laughs> you hit a nerve with Cedric there. You know, no, no, no I, one I, even I'll knows who to, Steve Toll is. Come on. I hey, I know who Steve Toll is. I, I was actually David Cass Stevens and I were behind Earl that night. Um they they flashed past us um on the on the deal but you know we're we're down there trying to we're 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 being we're being duck we're trying to get every emotion that we can from the sideline you know so uh but no i I, it'll be there um i I don't know exactly what i'll write next week i'm i'm sure it will be something uh but uh uh you know i it just varies for me week to week no, no, Doc, are you writing every day? We haven't talked about this. No, probably not every day because of our deadlines are so darn early. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I know Scotty Scheffler, our UTX, uh, tees off uh, early, early this morning. <laughs> you know what? There's a guy who's going to win soon. He's going to win a major soon. He I is so a too. good, good player. Yeah, I think um, so. Yep. Bye. And, uh, uh, you know, he would be one of the people that I would watch. I would do um, this week. I mean, I you know I would watch him in in the opening round no, uh, and see how he handles things. Well, he was uh, in the PGA Championship in the final round with Dustin Johnson. He's, he's right there. Pressure doesn't get to him. He's got a really really good overall game. And I guarantee you, he's picked he's picked Ben's brain. Oh yeah, you know I that. guarantee you. It's yeah, crazy if he hasn't. Yeah. Absolutely. No, absolutely, absolutely. No, it's been a pleasure having you on, and uh, said she makes a mean chocolate chip cookie too. I, I just, well, <laughs> stay away from you. Stay away from my friend, Mel. I'm trying to keep him on this side of the dirt. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks Mel. Thanks, so Mel. good to talk to you. Have a good one. On second thought. True crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello, plus better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Doug, great conversations with Melanie Hauser. Uh, 
man, it just feels like an alumni day at the Statesman. I mean, we go from Melanie Hauser to our guy Olin Buchanan of TexAgs.com. The Aggies were going to play at Tennessee Saturday, but that Rona got them. And so one of four SEC games postponed and OB, uh, are we going to be able to get a rain on the SEC and get this thing back on tracks before it's just totally out of control? Uh, well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm honored that y'all still uh, claim me. As I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I well, we do. I don't know about other folks, but I well, know we do. We can't sure. change <laughs> I have no doubt in my mind. Like, uh, we don't want to acknowledge that guy. Uh, yeah, you know, why not? Uh, uh, you've seen across the country, you know, teams lose games and then they have to take a break. It, I called it today uh, in a column. I said, it's it's like, uh, I don't know if you're old enough to remember this, Cedric. I know Kirk is well old enough to remember. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's like the eight-track tape. You know, you're grooving. You got a good song. Eight-track? Yes. The song has to switch to the next track. So, you, you know, it's a, kind of annoying. But yeah. then you pick up the groove again, you know. So uh, I think that's what's going on. You're going to have a week, maybe two, probably two week break, and then uh, pick back up. That's, I mean, hell, if uh, if Wisconsin's playing uh, after a couple wow, of weeks, yeah. exactly. Yeah. How are they still? How are they playing? So well, I, don't, I don't think anybody's surprised by this, but it's when you see four games in a single conference get postponed and you're, we're running out of dates in the back end and, and, and Olin, I don't know how you and Cedric feel, but to me, I just wish the folks in control said, you know what, we're going to push this playoff back. And why do we have to finish by January 11th? Cause everybody's adapting to this. We had the NBA finals in what October. I don't know how far they went. We're, we've got the masters going on this week in November. I wish They'd expand the playoffs to eight, and I wish we'd play it in February. Well, but, first of all, I wish they'd expand, expand the playoffs to eight. Anyway. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, yeah, you know, why not? Why not push yeah. back? The only thing I can figure is because of the uh, uh, the semester break and guys, people typically going home and whatnot, but you keep them around when they're playing for championships. And if it's, all right. uh, But that said, now the SEC, at least they had some uh, forethought, foresight that uh, I guess Big Ten didn't have, and that they – scheduled things so they'd have an open date. Exactly. So, so uh, A&M is now scheduled to go out to Knoxville on December 12th. And let me tell you, I'm really looking forward to going to Northeast Tennessee in mid-December. But you love Knoxville. You do love Knoxville. Uh, I like Nashville. <laughs> oh, that's different. <laughs> yeah. That's it's, different. Bit, it's pretty. It's pretty in spots. But anyway, I, I digress. Um uh, and then you know what? They've even said that, uh, that, that that they're considering letting teams play on the championship week. Right. So they're obviously working to do whatever they can to get as many games in as they can. And I wouldn't be completely surprised if if it comes to that, if they uh, take Kirk's advice, which typically is not wise to do. Not good. But if, not good. But in this instance. I would not be surprised if they took Kirk's advice and, and did move things back. But, you know, yeah, because 2020 is, a, is an outlier, man. Yeah. And it's a just yeah. – this is – this everything should be on the table in 2020. Everything. Because, everything. because if it could go wrong in 2020, it's going to go wrong. Absolutely. And for the, big, for the Big Ten and the Pac-12, 
to not build in bye weeks. What have you been watching in this country? It's just but nuts. Let me, let me ask you guys something. Don't you think it's that, that you're really concerned about – you wonder about what the Big Ten was thinking. And do you really even care about the Pac-12? No, because they don't have any real spine or backbone. They sit there and wait and wait. And, and, and then when the Big Ten finally decides, okay, I see what's going on down south, and they're having fun. They're playing football. And then the Pac-12, eh, okay, I guess we'll play. But don't you even sometimes even forget the Pac-12 even exists? It's, this is a really bad era for the Pac-12. Yeah, I mean, if I wasn't an AP voter, I'm, I might agree with that only because I always have to stay up and watch Pac-12 after dark. Uh, but, you're, but you're right. And it, this year has shown all the flaws and frailties of college football, how dysfunctional it is. Nobody's in charge. I think we need a commissioner or, you know, expand the selection committee, make it a commission that runs college football. So, we're not having one conference play, other one's not. And okay, well, we might play. It's just so bizarre, and it makes it to me. It makes the sport look very bad. That it's like every man for himself, and and I hate that look. I think it's a bad optics. You know, it is like every man for himself. And quite frankly, if you had a commissioner and and, and the things you're describing, you know, you might have you might have like you just said, uh, a, a, a commission for a playoff you know, committee instead of just a smaller committee. You might have uh, uh, officiating uh, full-time officials or at least, you know, more uniformed right. officiating. You might not have any programs like having their own network. It's amazing what could happen. Is that, that possible? A- well, the college football should join the, the new century. And, and we, we did notice your dig there. So, uh, I, I think college football. You come on here hating on the LHN, OB. You come on here hating on the LHN. Well, I, I don't hate I've it. got 15 million reasons why they like the I, I enjoy the history. Uh, That's but, the history uh, channel. Yeah. yeah, I enjoy it. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, college football is still fine. It's still great. It's still doing it, But can it be better? It could be better. It could be, be, better. Better. be the best you can be. It could be better. Well, in you know, but you know what? The thing that bothers me about it is all of this money is rolling in. And this is not just about college football. This is the NCAA. And when we're talking about the NCAA and, and big checks rolling in, we're talking about basketball and football. And so they just don't seem to be – they just don't want to be a governing body. They just want to be this big monolithic entity uh, as long as the money's rolling in and the trains are running on time, they they always want to just leave it up to the conferences. And when you got so many conferences, it's going to be a cluster F moment when something major like 2020 happens. Well, you know what I think is that uh, I think two things should happen. Number one, they should go like Kurt suggested, get a commissioner, and but also I also believe that the power five conferences, the major players, the guys at the hundred dollar table should break off. And then you would have a commissioner overlooking maybe five uh, conferences and change because we're really still asking Texas and Texas A&M and Oklahoma and Alabama to a certain degree to, to, to play by the, under the same restrictions and guidelines that, you know, South Alabama and Houston and and Utah State have, and that just doesn't make sense to me. And the way, the the fact that they have not yet 
broken away, uh, I find is, is a little bit surprising. I love that $100 table analogy because they are, they are the big dogs and they're playing with much bigger chips and there's much more at stake uh, at the end of the year because uh, that's, that CFP money is, is major money. And we know that those school, schools like the ones you mentioned are going to be in that mix. So do y'all think that it'll ever come to uh, the Power Five splitting off and being its own league or its own organization? Uh, you know, how far are we from that, Doug? It's going to take some powerful, well-meaning uh, people in charge of these Power Five conferences to have a soul and do what's best for the game and not just themselves. It's all about control. It's all about money. The Power Five conferences make all the money, and they don't want to share it, okay? It's not for the good of the game. It's for the good of the Power Five, and that's why the Big Ten especially, SEC, you know, they're paying schools more than $50 million every year to each school, you know, and you maybe have a Boise State getting $3 million a year. So there's never been any equity uh, uh and it's not a level playing field. We all know that. So it's so far down the line. And maybe, like, the pandemic could lead to this, guys, because, you know, who knows what's college basketball's future, what's going to happen. The NCAA lost that paycheck last spring, and if they lose it again, who's to say the NCAA just doesn't go under? And then maybe all bets are off, and we just have to look at a new way of, of doing things in college athletics. Well, I think it might have gotten closer than you think just a few years ago when the Power Five conferences said they wanted an autonomy and they wanted to be able to pay players uh, a stipend, right? Right. They wanted wanted to do some other things. And, you know, for years, it's the smaller schools that's no, because we can't afford that. We don't want to do it. And then they finally said, well, we're going to do it. And then you saw the smaller schools start to fall in line. Uh, Okay, why? Because I think the threat was – this is what we're going to do. We're going to start paying these guys some more. We're going to do this. And if you have a problem with it, we'll just break off. And I think, so I think then it was closer to happening than you might think. Yeah. It's just kind of around the edges. You know, you're exactly right. These other schools want a piece of the pie, whatever they can get. They don't want the crumbs group of five AAC wants to be one of the power five and thinks there should be a power six, but it's like the gap just shows. I'm sorry. I think I should be a millionaire or the commissioner. Or the commissioner. I thought you were. I thought you were a millionaire. <laughs> Doesn't text. What happened to your chips, Ob? <laughs> <laughs> I, I was at the hundred dollar tables. <laughs> Not very long, we, though, right? We've been at some tables together, but we were never at a hundred dollar table, dog. Oh, we've uh, never been at a hundred dollar table. I can tell you that. Uh, oh, I tell God. you what. I think we've solved college football's issues now. Let's move on to this year. Uh, The Aggies, all that. I I wrote uh, this week that they're a legitimate CFP contender, that I put out a scenario where they can realistically get in the Final Four. OB, are you on board? Uh, Well, yeah, I am. I think now their hopes are, of course, dependent on them going 9-1. Sure, of course. and, um, And it looks good. It looks promising. Yeah, uh, if they get them all played, right. um, I don't think there's a game left on their schedule that they would not be favored in, and they're playing very well right now. But at the same time, and I and I'll continue to say this, uh, they're not 
as good as they're playing, they're, they're not good enough to overlook anybody. And if they come out a little bit flat, uh, they could they could lose any game uh, that's still on their schedule. So it's dependent on them going nine and one. And their hopes did take a a, a hit with uh, Notre Dame upsetting Clemson. That's not that wasn't good. No, because Maybe. if they have a rematch in the ACC championship game and Clemson wins, mm-hmm. well, you know, then you have two loss, two one loss teams, and both of their losses were to each other. As it stands now, A&M has one of the best victories in the country. And that would be over Florida, which is, I think, ranked number six. So, very few teams – you know, if you, get, if you get a Clemson with a second loss or say uh, Notre Dame has a hangover and loses to Boston College this, this weekend, which I wouldn't pick, but I, I would not say it's out of the realm of possibility. If that happened and then they lost, you get – you know, if you get some two – lost teams out of the way you're, you're actually rooting for Florida and Alabama right now, believe it or not. And then you're hoping Alabama beats Florida. Of so course. Florida would get its second loss. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you can clean up some of those things while you go nine and one, then at the end of the year, if you, if you're Texas A&M sitting there at nine and one and the other teams you're looking at are Cincinnati and BYU. And let's say they're unbeaten it comes down to saying hey do you think cincinnati and byu would beat florida and if you're exactly that's of course no you say why are we having this discussion well they might you don't know that well here's the thing let me ask let let, let, let me yeah i've seen byu i I saw you know what they're okay i know i know i've seen the aggies and they're better i've seen yeah clearly better than them in 2009 okay things changed but in 2009 you might remember uh Cincinnati was third in the nation, third. And they were upset that they didn't get to play for the national championship. It was Alabama and Texas. But they were third in the nation, so they got sent to the Sugar Bowl to play Florida. That was hideous. 51-24. That was hideous. Wait, wait, wait. What does that mean? Did, didn't Boise State play Oklahoma once? Was Oklahoma play a national championship contender? It was a Fiesta Bowl game. Yeah, was I know. It was, was a major game, and Boise arrived, and they've arrived ever since, and nobody has doubted them. Yeah, and you know what? And, and since you brought up BYU, you know, that, uh, I mean, Boise, Boise is BYU's best win right now. Mm-hmm. Boise didn't have their starting quarterback. No. 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 So, um, good is good, though. I should always say, if you put the Green Bay Packers against uh, Ole Miss – they're going to beat them sixty to nothing after yeah. one quarter. I, I don't understand that. that you can say, well, Green Bay Packers aren't any good. Who they where, play? Where, where, where are you going with that? Good uh, is good. If you watch Cincinnati or BYU, you can't tell me those aren't aren't credibly oh, good. I can teams. say they're good teams, I'm, but I'm, are they I'm, better than Florida? And I would say no. I'd, I'd say I'm, they have a chance. Florida is horrible. Of the two, uh, Cincinnati's is not horrible. Uh, BYU's got a great quarterback. I like I like I like the quarterback. Um, He's great. He's great. Um, Cincinnati's defense really got after SMU. I watched that one. Um, defense. But when I see Florida or A and M or somebody like that, I I don't hesitate that they're going to that they're probably going to beat those two teams by double digits because A and M is is built. Um, Kellen Mom has been better. I mean, he's, he's kept – he's colored in between the numbers and he hasn't been 
He hasn't been all over the place. He's playing like a senior. Um, when I went to cover A&M against uh, Vandy, I think that was the opener, OB, um, they won 17-12. to 12, mm-hmm. And I kept going, why isn't Isaiah Spiller in the game? That Sanias kid was getting a lot of carries. Somewhere along the line, Isaiah Spiller – was Isaiah Spiller and no, Jimbo's front. Yeah, and Jim, yeah, that game. And Jimbo, ever since Jimbo's up, well, this is our guy. So I, I think uh, one thing I want to ask you, OB, uh, they've got some injuries. You're going you're gonna to get healed up. You, you think they might miss a couple of weeks here, but there's something to be said for the momentum that they have built. They have been on a freaking roll. Oh no! You know we're making gambling analogies earlier. Here we go again. If I'm at the if I'm at the table and I've won seven or eight hands in a row, I'm not going to get up and go to the bathroom, right? I want to. If I'm hot, I want to keep playing. Well, A&M has a break. You know, uh, is it? Do you want it? Absolutely not. You want to go into uh, Tennessee number one while you're playing well, and number two while they're not. Exactly. Uh, they so, were horrible last week. Yeah, and and. Uh, you know, are they going to get better? Probably not. But, you know, you don't want to interrupt something when you've, when you've got something, a good thing going. But that said, you, okay, it, it's out of your hands now. Look at uh, – try to look at the bright side. Isaiah Spiller looks like he's got a sore ankle. You're going to have some time to get that uh, healed up. I think uh, uh, Jared Hawker had to leave the game. Uh, now, his replacement at right card – uh, Leighton Robbins came in and played really well. But, you know, you get a, a time to get him uh, healed up. Uh, so, yeah, if you have some bumps and bruises or even if you have some guys, I know you can't practice the way you, you, uh, you would, but if you have some guys, some young guys like a DeMond Demas or Moose Muhammad Jr. that you think could come in and really help you at some time, you know, maybe it's just a little more time to, to, to try to bring them along, along, even if it's only on a Zoom call saying, do you understand what you do on this play or, or this, you know, all those things. So that's the bright side of it, or that's looking for the silver lining, I guess. But uh, without a doubt, you wish you were playing because you're playing well. You know, I, I, I like the path the Aggies are on, and we were, you were talking about the ACC. I think Notre Dame could stumble before maybe they get to a rematch. And then if Notre Dame beats Clemson twice, Clemson will be out of the mix yeah. with two losses. No two-loss team has ever been in the playoffs. So and That helps A&M. It helps A&M immensely. So I like their chances. One question I'd like to ask you, OB, is Jimbo Fisher, fast-talking Texan, in history of our state. Oh, my uh, God. What do you see from him that makes you think, well, this guy's an elite quarterback. Obviously, he's won a national championship, but size up Jimbo Fisher for us. Uh, first of all, you know, he, he's a football coach, and he's not trying to be anything else. Uh, and, and, you know, you always look for a fit. You know, you know Howard Snellenberger was a great fit at Miami and, and really at Louisville, but he was a terrible fit at Oklahoma, right? It right. doesn't mean he was a bad football coach. He just wasn't the right fit. You not know, Charlie Strong. There you know, sometimes you're just not – well, I think Jimbo's a fit here. Mm-hmm. You know, he fits the culture here. People are kind of laid back. He likes to ride horses and and uh, uh, and hunt and fish, and well, that fits right in here, you know. So, uh, you know, just a, a laid-back guy. And uh, who's his, – his, 
I think Jimbo's idea of fun is is breaking down football tape. Uh oh. <laughs> or video, you know, whatever you want to say. Uh, yeah. I think that's just what he, he does. I've heard, you know, he's recently married, and I heard that he and his wife spend their evenings, I've been told. Uh, she'll watch the uh, the video, the football breakdown with him. You know, I, that's what I've been told. Uh, uh, but uh, um, so, I mean, he's just a football coach. He's not trying to be anything else. He's a junkie. He's a football junkie. Yeah. And, and he's obviously very successful. It was successful as a coordinator at Auburn and LSU. has been successful as a uh, head coach at Florida State, and and he's there's really no reason to think he wouldn't be successful here, and he's recruited extremely well. And I think I, I don't I never understood the national media that was uh, uh, kind of taking every kind of shot at him that they could, uh, you know, because of his salary. Like nobody else in college football makes a lot of money, but uh, you know, in the first couple of years, and I'd say, man, I remember. Uh, you know, Mac Brown, I think, went, what, one and 22 or two and 22 in his first two years at North Carolina and turned them into a, a strong program. Yes. Sometimes you've got to get your recruits in and start building something. And when you look at AM, and I think this is one of the reasons they're playing so well right now. When you look at AM, yeah, you got a senior quarterback and you have a senior dominated offensive line, but you see an awful lot of sophomores that are in that starting lineup. And a lot of them played or started as freshmen. And so when the players typically really start picking up steam and gaining traction, I'd say it's usually midway through their second year. And so yeah. I think that's one of the things. So you look at sophomore Jalen Watermeyer, sophomore Nia Smith, sophomore Kenyon Green, uh, uh, sophomore Isaiah Spiller. Uh, you had sophomore or second year redshirt freshman Caleb Chapman before he got hurt, but a second year player in Chase Lane as one of your better receivers, and then look at the defense with the Marvin Leal and uh, uh, Damani Richardson. And so you're seeing a lot of second-year players that Jimbo Fisher brought in and has developed starting to really hit the stride. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Recruiting's going so well, and they've got great speed. I wonder a little bit about quarterback after Kellen Mond. I don't know if you'd just take a second to evaluate uh, the future after Kellen. Well, they seem to like uh, this freshman out of Longview, uh, Haynes King. They seem to like him a lot. Coach's son. Yeah. And he came in uh, in mop-up time against Alabama and actually ran the ball really effectively. Had an interception on a throw to the corner. I thought his receiver could have, like, worked a little bit harder to at least try to break it up. Okay, I'll just leave it at that. And and he threw a touchdown pass mop-up duty against South Carolina. Uh, but so, you know, it's a small sample size. He's looked fine. Uh, I know that they've raved about him, um, and how smart he is, the uh, and, and what a good athlete he is. I think he's one of the fastest guys on the team. So, uh, I thought I heard he's one of the fastest guys at Longview. If you know anything about East Texas, that means you're one of the fastest guys on the team now. He's one uh, of the fastest guys at Longview, he's pretty dang fast. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so they feel really good about him. Then there's Zach Calzada, who was uh, uh, the backup last year. He was out of Georgia and probably has the strongest arm of anybody on campus. Uh, so I think, and then they got a kid coming in that they've got a commitment from out of Denton named uh, uh, Eli Stowers that they're really excited about. So I think they have guys that uh, they feel good about. And that's going to be a process of developing. How fast are they going to develop? We'll see. Uh, I thought Kellen Mond was 
was pretty good two years ago in his first year under Jimbo Fisher. Wasn't as good last year, but of course he didn't have an All-American tight end. He didn't have the SEC leading rusher behind him, and he had an offensive line that was beat up. So maybe that had something to do with it. But I think that they feel like uh, they feel like they're in a in a pretty good spot at quarterback. Uh, and hey, uh, you know, if he wants to. The NCAA has given Kellamon the option to come back next season. Yeah, we always hear about it. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that'll you know what? If I'm going to get beat up playing yeah. football, I'm going to be doing it in somebody's training camp. Well, I understand that. I would, yeah. too. Of course, yeah. then there's going to be the, the argument say, yeah, but next year the draft won't have uh, Fields and, and Lawrence and the guy from North Dakota State and Kyle Trask, and maybe you get drafted like – have a chance to be in the first round, but no, I'm I'm not suggesting that he's going to come back. I'm suggesting yeah. that the guys they have, uh, who knows what they are, but they at least feel good about them right now. Yeah, no, you're right, and I think one of the things that I feel is incredibly good about Aggies right now is their O line and D line, and and Olin, you know how important controlling the line of scrimmage is in the SEC. Yeah. Anywhere, sir. Anywhere. But especially that league where they have so many great D linemen. Uh, and it just seemed like maybe Jimbo's following that model, and he they're really strong in both those areas. You know, they're just so much physically bigger than they used to be. Mm-hmm. That I noticed. Like I know Bobby Brown, I always say if you if Bobby Brown's wearing a white T-shirt, you can watch a movie on his back. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, him and uh, Jaden Peavy. And then you get a guy like – uh, the Marvin Leal come in, who's not as wide as they are, but tall, big, good-looking athlete, and they really run. Uh, the, the two freshman that tackles that they brought in this year, McKinley Jackson, Isaiah Rakes, uh, uh, j- just really big guys. So I can remember back in my previous job uh, when Charlie Strong, I was doing a story on him when he was the defensive coordinator at Florida, and they came to play – Vanderbilt, so I went up to see that butt kicking and uh, went down to talk to Charlie after the game and looking at, you know, close up at the, the, the lineman at Florida. And it was just, it was just so much different, just the size and the mass of those guys. And I think what you're seeing at A&M is, uh, you know, Jimbo Russ. I mean, that's the kind of guy you got to have if you're going to, they always call the, the SEC Alina Scrimmage League, okay? It Except is. Or not, that's the kind of guys you're going to have to compete in that line of Scrimmage League, and I think he's doing a good job of finding, bringing in, and developing guys, um, you know, that fit and that, that can match up. So, do, do, you think A&M, do you think A&M will win a national championship in the next – this year, next year, the year after? Uh, yeah, I, I, you know – I'll put it this way. I think A&M can be a, will be a, a national championship contender, uh, not this year, but in the years moving forward. I do think they'll be a contender. Now, we all know that crazy things can happen. So, to say they're going to win a national championship, uh, there are people talking, since I'm talking to you guys, there are people I've heard that would say the best team in the country in 2008 was Texas. They didn't get to play for the national championship. They didn't get to play for the Big 12 championship. Yeah, and we've seen Auburn back in the day be undefeated and didn't get a chance to play. The Oklahoma State's going to play for a national championship in what? 2010, and their kicker misses a, a, a chip shot field goal, and they lose to Iowa State. So, uh, to say 
yeah, they're going to win a national championship in four or five years. Um, it, to, to me, you know, that's like, you know, it's if you say that they are, you're just asking to be wrong. How about playing in a championship game? But if you say it, are they a contender? Yes. Then I'm going to say that they're going to be a, they're going to be a strong contender. They're going to be in that conversation. And you know, are you going to have to get by Alabama? Yeah, you know, and and I can understand how this might come off, but I think if they were in a different conference, easy tiger, easy tiger, opportunities. But, <laughs> but you know what? At the same time, if they were in a different conference, they may not be getting the kind of player they're getting now. Because one of the things they sell is that, hey, come play at A and M. You're going to play in the best conference in America. Right. But at some point, you got to say. You're not just going to play in the best conference. You're going to have a chance to win that conference. And you know what? Where I think they are. And, I mean, I mean, this year you can make a very strong argument. In fact, I don't know how you could argue against it, that they are the second best team in the SEC. They are. They Kirk, wrote that. Kirk wrote that, yeah. They clearly are. How, and how, do, you, how do you say, unless you're Kirk Herbstreet, how do you say they're not? I mean, don't we have to judge it based on what happened on the field? Thank and you. they beat Florida on the Thank field. You. I, I don't. I don't look at. I don't look at the jerseys anymore. I look at the scoreboard, and they're damn good. And people might not like it, but you got to. This is something you got to come to grips with. They are a physical bunch. They don't have to win. They don't have to ride Kellen Mond's arm at all times. Right. They get stops when needed, and 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 they can control the line of scrimmage on both. Sides. That's I, how you win football games. I, I would put it to you, like, like, all right, as a guy who covers AM, and again, I, I'm saying if they're playing their, their best ball uh, because they can't take anything for granted, I would say that, you know, I would take Ohio State over AM. I would take Alabama over AM. Right. But you take Ohio State and Alabama out of the mix, and I'm including Clemson in this and Notre Dame. If you take Ohio State and, uh, Alabama out of the mix. What team in the country would you look at if they were playing AM and both teams were playing at a high level? What did you would say, yeah, AM can't win that game? Cincinnati. Just kidding. <laughs> I would take a full strength Clemson over. I, you know what, OB? I really hope I really hope we get the answer to that question. I, I really hope that they make it to the CFP and face one of those big dogs because frankly, they've played well enough to get there. And if they play like they've been playing and the Aggies going on the road and working people, I mean, not just not, remember when they would go to Ole Miss or Mississippi state and squeak out one or, or lose. They're working. The, 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 the mark of a great team is when you work teams, you're supposed to work and they have, they worked, they kill South Carolina. I mean, that was a bludgeoning. And um, they, they didn't always do that. No. Okay, Kirk, let me clarify. Uh, I, I'm not saying that A&M would beat Clemson. I'm saying that if both teams are playing well, I don't think you could just go and assume that A&M is going to lose. No, not with right? that Clemson defense. Oh, my God. Right. That's all I'm saying. That, that, that yeah. I don't, other than Alabama and Ohio State, I don't know that if both teams are playing at, you know, at a high level, that there's a team that you just assume – yeah, but A&M can't beat. That's all I'm saying. No, I would just say, well, Clemson without three defensive starters, James Skalski, mm-hmm. their linebackers, the heart and soul of the yeah. 
And they played, had a freshman quarterback in his second start. And so. nobody brings that up when they say, hey, look at Notre Dame, how great Notre Dame is. Yeah, right? oh, I know. and they should bring it up. And the other thing I would say, the one thing that's hurting uh, A&M, and I disagree with this, is perceptions. And it, it goes to what have you done lately, and I mean last 10, 20 years. Florida beats Georgia, a good Georgia team, not a great Georgia team, a good – Georgia team that struggles on offense, especially at quarterback. And everybody, everybody goes crazy. Oh my God, the Gators are back. Contrast, mm-hmm. damn good quarterback. But you know, funny how when you say oh, you just said it, when someone beats Georgia, they always say, "Oh, they're back." Go, go ahead. <laughs> I don't know who you're talking. Because I'm asking, like, where did where did they go? I mean, <laughs> uh, well, uh, not as, but it's head to head. Head to head matters. A&M beat Florida. A&M is better than Florida. You know, maybe if they played again, maybe Florida win. You well, know, I just hate that Florida gets extra credit for beating a name brand in Georgia. Those like are some. Other, of you, those are your national writer friends that sometimes push shape, that narrative. They shape perception, and and I think it's wrong. And, and I think, A&M doesn't have national guys uh, no, blowing no, their I, horn. You got to be objective about it. I believe the national media is actually um, uh, anti-Texas a and and I think it's because of uh, for, when when the when it, the story surfaced that a And M was pursuing Jimbo Fisher, the uh, the original reaction was this is ridiculous. He's never going to leave Florida State, and then he did. So then you got you got to where you looked bad. Secondly, a lot of the national media loved Kevin Sumlin because he was one of those coaches that'll always be um, approachable, always be available for the national media. But he didn't. But, but he he found the local media to be uh, uh, to be a, a bothersome. That that's really an interesting concept, Ob. We we ne- we've never had those problems in Austin. But go ahead. So, all right. So. So you have a national media that got proven wrong and then liked the previous guy a lot and now are also at every opportunity bringing up the fact that Fisher makes a ton of money. Even though uh, one guy uh, just a couple of weeks ago wrote how much money Fisher makes per win. But he didn't bring up the fact that, say, Jim Harbaugh makes even more per win. Or well, wins uh, are hard to come. Boy, those are some expensive wins up in Ann Arbor right now. Yeah, and, and I even pointed out that, like, uh, the guy at Purdue makes a million dollars a win. You know, so so college football coaches make a lot of money. Newsflash. Uh, so uh, why do you uh, think they hate A and M, Olin? Huh? Why do you think they hate old A? Well, I think you know. Here's what I, I think, and this is from my years of living in Austin and and when we're working and arguing with you every day. Uh, I think, I think there is an, uh, a caste system in, in, uh, in college football, mm-hmm. uh, really college sports, but college football we're talking about. And I think there's this caste system. And if Texas wants to offer $10 million to Nick Saban for you know, a national championship quarterback, people go, Oh my gosh, $10 million. Wow. Texas really wants him. If A&M offers 7.5 a season to Jimbo Fisher, who won a national championship, everybody's like, what What are the Aggies trying to do? What are they, who do they think they are? 
so I think there's this caste system that certain programs can do one thing and it's acceptable. Other programs will do something similar and it is, uh, it's, it's unacceptable. And, it, you know, it's strange because, you know, there was a time like, uh, you know, A&M's not supposed to have aspirations to break into the elite. You know, you're supposed to accept who the national media and the, the, the establishment say you are. Uh, but there was a time when Miami was a terrible program. They made the, the, the moves they had to make to become a great Oregon was a terrible program. Does anybody, is anybody mad that Phil Knight came in and pumped millions upon millions of dollars in the Oregon program and Oregon became uh, a powerful program or as powerful as you can be in the PAC 12. Mm-hmm. Nobody seems to have an issue with that. Do they Clemson, you know, Clemson pays their coach $10 million a year. Um, uh, you know, Clemson was once a perennial. Yeah, they had one crazy year in, in 81 where they won a national board. Yep. But they were perennial about an eight-win team. Average. And, average. And, and, and they pumped not only by putting money into their coach, but they pumped yeah. so much money into their program. No, here's, my, here's my thing on that, guys. And uh, OB, you, you listen to me on the radio on College Station, and I always say, if you get the guy you want and you pay whatever you want to get him, and I, I believe in my heart that when the Aggies decided that seven and five, eight and four wasn't good enough, and they could have kept someone around and they would have been going to the Blue Bonnie Bowl, whatever, all those uh, second-tier bowl games, they, they would have continued to go to bowl games but they were never going to be a player in the SEC with Sumlin as the head coach. And so when they decided to break bread and get a national championship coach who has coached Heisman Trophy winner, that let me know that the Aggies were about business, that they want to win. There's one thing to want to compete, but it's quite another thing to want to win. Well, I always said that A&M was the guy that was wanted to play at the $100 table and he brought one $100 bill. Uh, now they, you know, they're bringing an entire wide of Wait, Wait let's, go, let's go rewrite history. Do you remember the name Jackie Sherrill? Yes, but okay, here's what they, they would, they would do that for their coach, but they never would pay the assistant coach and they right. wouldn't put, and they wouldn't put uh, money into their facilities, which is one of the reasons that when RC was here at the end of his tenure, that he couldn't compete uh, in recruiting because Texas, LSU, and Oklahoma had put so much into their facilities. RC couldn't keep his, his uh, assistant coaches because they weren't paying them enough. Now, not only are they paying their head coach, they're paying their, their assistants. And as we all know, they've really uh, pumped money into their facilities. And one last thing on the whole Jimbo thing, I'll ask you. Remember, the word was that Jimbo was going to be going to LSU when they fired Les Miles. It just didn't work out, right? Had LSU mm-hmm. paid Jimbo Fisher to re- $7.5 million to replace Les Miles, had it been LSU, what do you think? Do you think the net, there would have been the same negative reaction that there has been at, at A&M National? No, because, because the, the national guys write, love to write about the traditional powerhouses. Yeah. That, the, the exorbitant salary would not have been a storyline at all. I mean, you no. definitely mentioned it. But yeah. No, but, but it wouldn't have been the focus of the story. I mean, oh, he's, he's going to be making 7.5 a year, blah, 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 blah. And 
that would have been it. It wouldn't have been like, what's what's LSU doing? Well, that's uh, that never would have happened. That's why I mentioned several minutes ago, perception. Yeah. A&M is fighting perception. You know, it's like – and they need to be in that mix for, you know, not just one year, but two years and three years. And to me, they're, they're – Aggies should feel as good about themselves and their program right now as they ever have, especially since, you know, the Jackie Sherrill years late and the R.C. Slocum years when he couldn't quite get over the hump. And But they are going to fight their perception until they get over that hump. And Olin, you made great comments like Oregon and Clemson and the Boise States, how people have changed their image. And I really think A&M's in the process of doing that. Kirk, when did uh, – you would remember this, because uh, I can't, but in your opinion, when did Texas uh, begin to really get that – traction under Mac Brown and go on a long run of, of success. He finally beat Oklahoma. I remember he lost five games in a but row. They, but even then, they were still – They had the talent. Good. But it was the same as North Carolina when Mac couldn't get past Florida State. And he was winning. They would win 10 games every year. But you, you know, they weren't winning the Big 12. And then finally, no. they were able to beat Oklahoma. And it was – you look back at the 0405 when they went to the Rose Bowl twice – beat Michigan and then beat Southern Cal and then they just took off. And if and if they hadn't have and if Mac and Greg Davis hadn't have been so conservative in 04 yep. against OU, right. may, maybe Texas wins two championships. Instead you're right. It's like their whole thing was no turnovers, no turnovers, no turnovers. But you don't play to your screen. Roy Williams never caught a touchdown pass against Oklahoma. They put a gazelle they put a gazelle Vince Young in, in a phone booth. Yes, yes. And I just, re- I just remember Tommy Harris. Play. I remember Tommy Harris going, "Yeah, man, I'm just glad they didn't they didn't turn him loose. We would have been in trouble." Yeah, yeah let so your athletes be athletes. And the point I'm making is, I think A and M is entering that point of of where Texas was when it finally clicked, and they and they might not have beaten Oklahoma, but yeah. they became a team that was going to that was going to be a ten win team. And in the discussion for championships, hey, this is going to be a contender. And I think that's why the a entering right now. Now, are they going to be able to beat Alabama? Or are they going to continue to lose to Alabama the same way Texas had trouble beating OU? Probably. But oh, they're going to be in a position where yeah. they're going to be uh, – I think you're going to have to look at them and say they're a serious challenger, which they, they haven't been. No one thought they were a challenger in, uh, in 2012. That was a surprise. They were expected to be a challenger in 2013, and you might recall that was a tremendous game against Alabama in 2013 here, 49-42, Alabama won. But I think what you're going to see is you're going to see Al, uh, A&M becoming that team, maybe even what replace Auburn, in the cast system of the, uh, of the mm-hmm. West. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, when, when Johnny Manziel was there, A&M made some noise, made some national noise, and now, now they got the whole band. You know, you got the O-line. You got the D-line. You got speed. You got skilled people. You got the coach. You got the coach. You got the SEC money. It's all converging uh, perfectly for A&M right now. And, frankly, if I'm Texas, I'm really scared 
because they're not matching that. Uh, yeah, I haven't noticed anybody calling for a, a game against A&M for a while. I am. I am. I want to, I want to see him play. Hey, you know, I'm talking about – I'll go tomorrow. I'm talking about, I'm talking about I'd, 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 I'd go cover that without a mask. I, yeah, I'd go to that one. I, I'm just messing with you. But you know what? Uh, since I brought that up, I grew up with that game, and I've always been a proponent of it. Yes. But I've changed my opinion on it. Because you're oh, – oh, hold on here. I know what you're going to say. Over. No, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to be a wise guy. No, 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 no. Well, we got bigger fish to fry in College Station it's now. We don't, we don't need that. No, non-college. it's not even that. It's not even that. A&M is going to play just like everybody else in the SEC West. They're going to play one Power 5 program a year just like everybody else does. So they're going to play their SEC West opponents. They're going to play two from the East and one Power Five opponent. That's what they're going to do. And I and uh, next year it's going to be Colorado, but after that it's going to be two years against Miami and then two years against Notre Dame. And I just as you be, try to become a national brand and you look at AM, they're recruiting nationally. Then I think to become a national brand at A and M, it behooves you to schedule national games. And not regional ones. Why not play two? Why not play two? I just said that they're going to do what every other team in the SEC West does. Mm -hmm. Every other team in the SEC West plays their SEC West schedule. You're always going to play LSU. You're always going to play Alabama. You're always going to play Auburn. They're going to, and you're always going to get. um, Yeah, but why three cupcakes? Huh? (laughs) Why three cupcakes? Uh, wow. You're going <laughs> to play nine games, play every, nine games. Everybody. That's what everybody in the West does. Why should A&M be expected to be any different than the competition that they're facing? Well, here's why we've been talking for 30 minutes about changing their image, changing their perception, not being afraid of anybody. So well, you can play tougher uh, teams. They just played Clemson. They're playing Notre Dame, and you're saying they need to play a tougher Texas? Well, they have three cupcakes every year. I'm afraid, I'm afraid to play Texas, but I'll play Clemson and Notre Dame. Come on, get over yourself. <laughs> Texas like I said, is a lot of uh, Big 12 uh, SEC teams like, like I said. 16 years. So, I mean, I'd like to see it on Labor Day. I love tradition. and oh, uh, I grew up with it. I used to be absolutely right. adamant that they should play it. But as they try to expand their uh, brand to be more national, I get it. And quite frankly, selfishly, I enjoy the road trips. Oh, I bet. Great games every week. You enjoy a road trip to Austin too, OB. <laughs> Just to hang out with you guys. And it was like you said, when we started out, coming over there now, nobody over there wants to claim me anymore. <laughs> we claim you, dog. We claim you. You know what? It's going to happen, and it's going to be in the Cotton Bowl, and hopefully in a couple of years, um, a new a New Year's Six game. They'll they'll they'll, they'll put eight, they'll put eighty thousand. No, it won't. They'll put eighty thousand people in Jerry World, and and it's just going to be a big party, and that will be fun. So, so be you don't fun. think it's going to happen this year? Do I think Texas is going to play in the Cotton Bowl? Yeah. No. I don't think they're. I mean, they're still in line for the conference championship, right? Yeah. Yeah, but are they going to win it? No. Okay. I just win a conference championship. Uh, Kirk may think differently. Uh, My opinion is no. I think I think they'll probably lose Iowa State or or K State. They're going to lose one of those two games. Maybe both. State doesn't even have its quarterback anymore, right? It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's in in the little apple. 
they, 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 I can't remember the guy's name, but they sprung a surprise starter on Texas in like 07 or 08. And no, it was 07. And, um, be, and beat and beat Texas 45 42. I've noticed those Longhorns had a little bit of trouble from time to time with Kansas as well. Easy time. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. <laughs> you, know what we call, you know what we call Arkansas over here? <laughs> we call Arkansas our Kansas. Oh yeah. my God. That's so fun. That it's is so fun. fun. It's been fun. Oh, yeah, man. I enjoyed it. All right, dude. Hey, wait, we'll do it again. Uh, we won't wait 200 episodes to have you back on. So I don't think we'll last another 200. We'll be, we'll be happy to last another 200 days at this point. So hey, uh, thank you guys for having me on. I always enjoyed talking uh, football with you and arguing with you. And, and uh, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. I sure, sure miss it over there. Yeah, we miss you too, brother. But we'll, we'll, we'll chat soon. I'll, I'll see you at the. Um, I think they get Ole Miss coming up in a few weeks. Next game, the next game, maybe. Maybe the next game might be LSU. All okay. right. So if, if if Ole Miss is a go, I'll see, I'll see you down at College Station. All right, we'll be looking for you. Okay, brother. Later. Bye. On second thought. That will do it for episode 200 of On Second Thought. We got to thank Melanie Hauser and Olin Buchanan for joining us. Uh, thank you guys for hanging out with us for the last 200 episodes, and we hope to give you 200 more. For the Doug Kirk Bowls, I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.